0: Does Madonna, Americans... when you put together a mixtape where you, you have really aggressive music to get you up to the level of playing with that aggression and fire. The truly crazy ones listen to music to breathe them down. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yo, what's going on? Welcome to Owls at Dawn. We are just two dudes from Southern California who studied philosophy, politics, and religion around the world and decided to start a podcast where we could bullshit with impunity. I am Austin Hayden-Smith.
2: And I am Troy Polidori.
1: And this week we're going to be doing a kind of special bonus episode, I guess you could call it. Yeah, dude? Near and dear to my heart, you know. (laughs) <laughs> hey, we have had some requests, okay? We have legit had requests that we talk about this topic. So, Which we have used just
2: <laughs> rationalizations for doing it. <laughs>
1: exactly. So uh, we are going to be having our friend on, Matt Telly. He's been on uh, in the past as well. But we're going to be talking about the docuseries on Netflix called The Last Dance about the Michael Jordan Bulls from the – what was it, 97, 98 season?
2: Yeah, it's on ESPN here in the States, not on Netflix here oh, in Oh, is States. it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it was I, weird I, I because- I it... a VPN to get those lovely curse words from Netflix. Oh, really? Yeah, the ESPN one is all kinds of censored. Oh, so
1: it came out on Sundays on ESPN for you.
2: Mm-hmm. But no, Dude, I, it I, came I out- I used a VPN to get the get those curse words, okay. man. I, I got to get it... those Jordan curse words, man.
1: The Uncensored, yeah. It came out Monday night at, like, I think 6 or 7 p.m. I shit you not, every Monday during this, like, during this run, I guess it was, what, five weeks that they were airing them? uh, Every Monday was, like, I would draw myself a bath and I would fucking (laughs) – I'd have my iPad set up in my bathtub and I would sit there and I would watch the two documentaries. It was the the two episodes. It was so good.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I did the same thing on Mondays after – after working all day, I'm on 5 o'clock, I'd stop, I'd make some tea, get a snack, and watch some Last Dance.
1: <laughs> it was so good. I actually feel empty because I don't have it now. So I will have to rewatch it maybe at one point. Um, but anyway... <laughs> We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about like the cultural impact. We're going to be talking about some of the dramas, all that other good shit. So normally we would do a shitty minute and a sticky leaves this episode, but we kind of went long, and it's a pretty kind of – I don't know. Would you say like off the beaten path kind of episode that we try to whip around? I don't – I'm not trying to justify it. It is what it is. It's it's a standalone
2: Yeah, it's even more extemporaneous than usual, and there's plenty of shitty minutes and sticky leaves throughout, so you'll get your
1: fill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll go ahead and jump into that now with Matt. All right, sick. So now it is time for our main segment. As we said at the top of the episode, we have a guest this week, one of our old buddies from college and former guest on the show as well, Matt Telly, is joining us. What's up, dude? What's going on, everybody? Now, we've had like all kinds of different topic suggestions for like, hey, let's get Matt on to talk about this and that, like serious stuff. But we decided, why don't we do something superficial and get him on to talk about sports? (laughs) I'm your man. I got you. (laughs) I know. I know. So uh, we're going to be talking about The Last Dance. Now, before people start running for the hills, because they're like, oh, I hate basketball. I don't want to talk about basketball. This is going to be fun. Now, we do know that there are a couple of people that love it when we talk about this kind of stuff. So obviously, this is in your wheelhouse. For those of you who don't know, we're going to make this interesting and curious and culturally kind of topical as well. So stay, stay and join in the fun. Okay?
2: We're also going to like dwell in the bullshit, you know, like family drama shit, melodramatic stuff. So we'll do that too.
1: Yeah, and in the age of fucking reality television, everybody needs a little drama in their lives, right? And rather than watching, I don't know, whatever soap opera you're watching or telenovela or whatever, why not get into some real basketball drama, some good sports drama, yeah? Sounds good. Why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? Why don't we start by talking about our favorite piece of drama from the show?
2: Well, why don't we first say for anybody who doesn't know, since, you know, maybe a good portion of our audience doesn't even know anything about The Last Dance besides the fact that it's about basketball or maybe Michael Jordan, uh, just really briefly, The Last Dance is a recent ESPN 10 parts documentary series about the final season of the uh, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen led Chicago Bulls, 1997-98. It was their sixth championship in eight years that they had won and the end of their dynasty the uh, NBA allowed a television crew to follow the team around the entire season and playoffs during that year, which was kind of unprecedented at the time. And then it wasn't released for a good 20 plus years because Michael Jordan had exclusive rights to the footage. And for whatever reason, um, didn't want that coming out at any point in the last 20 years. Uh, it's been said that it's not a coincidence that LeBron won his, um, you know, kind of his uh, zenith moment in 2016 when he beat the you know, dynasty warriors. Um, then the conversation begins about whether LeBron's better than Jordan for doing that, and all of a sudden, Jordan greenlights that summer, working mm-hmm. on this uh, documentary series. So there's there's something in there about Jordan wanting this to come out to bring himself back into that conversation. I would think.
1: I mean, can we just say that the one of the consistent themes throughout every single one of these episodes is pettiness? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's par for the course. My man was tired yeah.
0: of just being a meme. You know what I mean? Like yeah. all these kids <laughs> the crying look, Jordan. All these kids, all they know about him is got a, a really bad, tough looking crying face. That so they can superimpose right. on everything. He was like, no, I'm the greatest.
2: Yeah, it legit okay. bothers him too. It's not even a joke. Like he's bothered by the fact <laughs> that the crying Jordan meme is how most young kids know him today.
1: Oh 100%. he's brought
2: it up on several occasions in public.
1: <laughs> oh, has he?
2: Yeah, at Kobe's funeral, he brought it up. I mean, jokingly oh, and self, you know, uh, self-effacing, but it's a thing that comes to mind. I think he even maybe not during his Hall of Fame speech because I don't think how he had done the the crying Jordan meme is from his Hall of Fame speech, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's from it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I know at least on a couple occasions he's brought it up. Most recently at Kobe's yeah. funeral. I don't. I didn't. I don't remember the specifics of the Hall of Fame
1: speech, but didn't he in his Hall of F- Fame speech like? Uh, continue, <clears throat> excuse me, continue to exhibit the kind of competitive pettiness that he's known for by calling people out and like challenging people and shit like that?
0: Dude, he brought um, one of his former high school teammates who beat him out for a position when he was like a sophomore or something. He brought him to the Hall of Fame speech just to roast that dude. Probably has not spoken <laughs> to that guy in like 30 years. He was like, no, come to, come to this thing. He's just like, look at this dude. This is who they thought was better than me.
1: yeah that's right that's right so do you think that this documentary has actually changed people's opinions about jordan his legacy do you think the younger generation the zoomers and stuff like that are gonna start to be like oh yeah maybe jordan actually was the greatest like how do you think this is gonna have a, a basketball and maybe even cultural impact
0: i don't know i think that you know we when we look at old footage i don't know like Think about who our parents liked. They're like, oh, Oscar Robertson was great. We watch footage <laughs> of him and we're like, this dude's playing against a bunch of plumbers. You know? And, <laughs> right. And I think that people have thought that about Jordan. And you go back and you watch it and you're like, all right, so some of these dudes wouldn't make it in the NBA today, but this dude, Michael Jordan's like pretty clean. You know, he's out there make, doing moves that, that would work and
2: translate into today's basketball. Yeah, you know what's most incredible from watching that footage? I mean, I remember... Especially the, the second three-peat from the Bulls. I was an avid NBA fan at the time and watched a lot of those games. The first three-peat, I was too young to really remember, other than, you know, mm-hmm. I was a huge Laker fan. So when they, when Jordan beat Magic in 91, that was an upsetting time. And then he basically, uh, Magic contracted HIV like right after that. And it was the end of everything, yeah. right? Um, but I don't remember the basketball very well. So watching that footage, dude, Jordan was, he had the most incredible hands you've ever seen in a basketball player. The things he could do—he could palm the ball while dribbling with one hand, which is Mm. just—I don't know that anybody else in in league history can do it the same way that he can. Along with the incredible athleticism, so yeah, you're seeing him doing things out there that even guys like LeBron and Dwayne Wade and kind of other, you know, Kevin Durant, other great wings of the last twenty years can't really do. Um, He wasn't as great a shooter as as some of these guys, but uh, you can imagine if he grew up. Um, with the three-point line being as prevalent as it is as now, he probably would have been. Do you think, like, it's so hard,
1: right, to to actually do the comparison, the the greatness comparison, because everybody is within their historical context and within their athletic context, right? So Wilt Chamberlain was the, quote, most dominant player, even though he lost to Bill Russell uh, all the time. But he was the most dominant player. But like you just said, he's playing against plumbers, right? Like, literally, he's playing against people who had full-time jobs right. outside of basketball, <laughs> Right And people who didn't grow up with sports science and who didn't grow up playing basketball from when they were fucking four years old and uh, doing the type of training and and eating the type of diets and participating in the type of drills and they didn't understand the shooting mechanics in the exact same way. It wasn't like put down to a science. So like is it even – like how do you determine these generational debates? Is it about who was the greatest within their context? Is it about like who's the greatest – basketball player like who has the skills like who is all around the one who plays the game the best or is it playing the game within the context is it winning the most championships like how do you even start to have this debate
0: i think this debate's just for content because like you said there's no way (laughs) to actually adjudicate this there's no like set of Mm. guidelines that anybody agrees to we each come with our own perspective we have What we feel. But really, it's who's the player that made me feel good? And then the Mm -hmm. rationale comes in to undergird it afterwards. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: But it makes being at the barbershop better.
1: That's true. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, post-talk
2: rationalizations are the point of sports commentary.
1: Yeah. I mean... So with that said, is Jordan the greatest? Or do you think, like, did this put the conversation to rest? Do you think people are still going to be like, nah, LeBron might be the greatest? Or do you think this, is, this documentary was kind of like, no, 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 I'm still here, remember?
2: I don't know. My thought on it is as much as I think LeBron's the greatest player I've seen in my adulthood, and it's not even really a question, um, dude won six championships in eight years and one in three quarters of the ones in between he didn't play. Um, I just it's not a thing you could do now and a lot of that's you know you can argue that uh, the expansion of the NBA happened during that time the second three-peat um, they moved the three-point line in for like two of those years I think 96 and 97 so there's a lot of weird stuff happening that makes the league weaker and whatever um, but I mean I can't imagine any set of rules that would let a team basically win you know for all intents and purposes six straight championships um, yeah with, I guess, not even a team, just basically three three people, Jordan Pippen and Phil Jackson as being the, you know, um, only members who are continual throughout that process. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, LeBron's book's not closed. Like, he's still going. I mean, he's still arguably the best player in the NBA right now, even at, what, 35, 36. So, um, it's not over yet, but uh, I don't think that he's, he's quite past him yet. Even if his zenith, like 2016 for, as a moment for LeBron, I think is better than any single moment for Jordan. Um, Jordan didn't beat anybody like the, you know, the dynasty warriors. Um, so that's something. But I don't know if the the zenith is uh, going to match Jordan's continual dominance. Mm. Mm. What do you think, Telly?
0: Culturally, nothing can touch Jordan. Like you just yeah. that's that was one of the takeaways from mm. this whole doc was like, the man had to sit in an office with a couple like middle-aged security guards. And that was, his entire life was confined to that. (laughs) Outside of those walls, everybody is just trying to like touch his garment. You know what I mean? Like you can't go anywhere worldwide, even when they went um, and did the Olympics, like everybody needed a piece of him. He was in every commercial. He had the biggest shoe lines, like nothing can touch it. And he was undeniably cool until he started wearing jean coats all the time you know what i mean like he's, <laughs> he's out there with like the the warm-ups and the gold chain at the all-star you know at, yeah. doing the uh the dunk contest like that there were several times where like you know like the drip or whatever was just like out of control
1: but you know what's funny like i don't remember thinking of jordan as being outside the sneakers. Out uh, of being as, like, a, a fashion or style type of guy. It was kind of like he... It was almost like he didn't have a really set style, but that kind of was his, like, I don't give a fuck attitude that made him so cool. Whereas, like, somebody like Russell Westbrook tries really hard, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, he's wearing his fucking glasses and his backpack to, like, you know, post-game pressers and stuff like that. But, like, it was almost like... Like he's wearing, like Jordan's wearing those huge 90s oversized suits where like the suit jacket is like got coattails almost. It's so long, you know, <laughs> and it's so baggy. But like I didn't realize that that he was such a fashion icon, I guess you could say, or example outside of the sneakers. But I guess he kind of was, huh? For the
0: first, like for the, through the first repeat, the second repeat, he came in with like hardcore dad energy but before that, like he was he knew what to do.
2: Yeah. There's also the second three Pete has Rodman involved in it, so are you really gonna try that hard when Rodman's next to you? He's like gonna soak up all the fashion related energy anyway.
1: That's true, man. That's oh, true. What were your what were your favorite episodes, I guess, throughout this? So for people that didn't watch it yet, each episode or sometimes they were released in pairs, they kind of really balanced nice to each other, right? Like the first one was Kind of Jordan's beginnings tied to Pippin. The second one was Rodman and Jackson, which I thought was a really great sort of way of kind of just talking about like how do you control the monster, right? Which was kind of cool. So you've got like the supposed psychological Zen master and then this like this uncontrollable force that gets brought into the team. And so there, it was really kind of paired together nicely. What was your favorite like either week of released episodes or what was your favorite single episode?
0: I really liked the Rodman one. Like, I, I remember the Rodman, like, thing back in the 90s, you know, but not all the specifics. Yeah. Like, I didn't remember him missing practice during the finals. You know, like, like Dennis Rodman had the most 1998 that anybody could possibly have. <laughs> you know, like, dating Carmen Electra. He's on the Bill, the Bulls with MJ. He skips practice to go be a part of, like, the NWO, like, WWF thing. Like it's wild, this guy was just like yeah. but, but you could count on and, and him. didn't
2: get punished for it. They just accepted <laughs> yeah. it. Like a, yeah, of course he did.
0: But that's because he can come <laughs> back from that and give you eighteen boards. You know, <laughs> like that. Yeah, like that one, the one where he just went to Vegas for a couple days just to like blow off some steam and comes back and that's crazy. everybody at conditioning drills and practice the next day. Like it's just wild. Oh, that
2: that was such yeah. a great story. And then you know, so Jordan comes to his apartment or whatever in chicago right because he's still missing and there's the story of carmen electro saying she's hiding underneath the sheets because she doesn't want to get confronted by michael jordan at the door right and then rodman shows up and he and like what does he say steve kerr and john Paxson, or maybe it wasn't steve kerr yet i don't remember uh were, or no judd bushler and steve kerr were always leading the uh, running drills right uh the small guards and then rodman just starts lapping them right and they're all having to catch up and they're all mad at him for it. It's incredible. The guy was like the greatest athlete in basketball history, I think, Rodman, as pure athletic talent is concerned.
1: Hmm.
2: It was monster. Yeah. I,
1: he would be He would be a phenomenon if he were around in the age of social media. Could you even imagine? Like, do
2: you Did, think it would be something that would be too much and it would have destroyed him, actually? So do, do you guys remember that thing where DeAndre Jordan was going to sign with the Mavericks? In free agency and then um the clippers like held him hostage doc <laughs> yes. rivers and stuff and there was like people were tweeting out emojis of like chairs and you know like chairs holding up against doors so that you couldn't get out paul and rock people yeah. was driving yeah. around the, the block look trying to find the house <laughs> where he was at to get him and stuff <laughs> that was like the greatest day in yeah. basketball social media history and then paul pierce tries to tweet yeah. out like a rocket or something <laughs> yeah. but he puts a like an, like an icon, an ICO image instead of an emoji because <laughs> he doesn't know how to do it.
1: <laughs>
2: that's the greatest day in social media history for basketball. If Rodman had, the Rodman shit had been going on on the social media, it would have been epic. He was disappearing for days at a time. There'd be people with, with like following him around in Vegas, right? Like video recording him on their phones doing crazy shit. Maybe he would have tampered it down if that had existed, but I would hope not. Yeah, that's... He would have had
1: to, right? Like, you still had some level of uh, of secrecy or of privacy. I mean, not really privacy, but, like, now it's just everything is transparent, right? I don't even think that he would be capable. I almost feel like it would stifle him. Either it would, like, destroy him or it would stifle him, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was dealing with those pressures at the time. You know, we talked about feeling like he was stifled, feeling like he wasn't able to be who he— who he felt that he was inside and all this, like if this happened today, there, there's no way he wouldn't have made it.
1: Who's who's the who's the bad boy of the NBA now? Like the like like who is it? Draymond because he kicked dude in the nuts. Like who's what's the closest thing we got?
2: I mean, Draymond's more just hated by other teams, right? And then his own team has to kind of reel him in. But he's not really a bad boy in the sense of like disappearing or breaking all the rules or. You know, yeah. getting away with shit. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. I'm not sure who that would even be.
1: I mean, has there even been I another? Think,
2: I think they've stamped that out. You know, that's it, what I was wondering.
1: Yeah. Do you think? Do you think that's what they did? Did they stamp that out? Like this can't be allowed anymore.
0: It can't be allowed. And like you said, all all these new players were part of the AU circuit since they were kids. So they've been getting media yeah. training since they were, you know, six, seven, eight years old.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true because, I mean, a lot of people talk about how the NBA is a player's league and it at least allows for people to have some kind of individual expression and stuff like that. But it still is pretty manicured, right?
2: Oh, yeah. Ever since, like, the Niles uh, the Palace, they went hardcore on rest- – you can, you know, exhibit your free expression, but it has to be within very particular bounds. And uh... That's Matt Telly's boy, Steven Jackson, man. <laughs> it is Captain Jack. <laughs>
1: throwing up gang signs when he hits a three sometimes maybe maybe had you know
0: an alleged incident outside of a strip club with a with a firearm defending a teammate i don't know all these are the these are the players that i want on my team that's that's all i know like they you know uh, who
1: i really like he's got like similar kind of energy is it marcus smart i think who he has like the I will fight you, like like serious, <laughs> like seriously. I will fight you, energy, and yeah, like he's like one of those. I, I want one of those guys on my team.
0: You gotta have someone that's just a little bit crazy that's there to to come back behind you. I mean, like that was the yeah. the We Believe Warriors was it an entire squad of that, those guys plus Andres mm. Beadren's <laughs> just standing <laughs> out like a, like a weirdo. But then you know, like that's what Draymond does now because Steph. Steph's out there, you know, hitting his shots, and he likes to dance a little bit. People want to throw him around, and Draymond's there to kind of make sure that no one takes it too far. That's what Charles Oakley mm. did, you know. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah the enforcer. Used to have, Every championship team has to have that guy. Yeah, I was going to say, you used to have
1: that more, though, didn't you? Like, I was even, like, when they were talking about the Indiana Pacers, I was like, oh, fuck, I forgot all about the Davis brothers. But Dale Davis, he was like that for the Pacers, right? Oh, yeah, and oh, then. Yeah. Yeah, Charles Oakley, Charles Mason, like you had those dudes that would you fucking Anthony Mason? Uh Anthony Mason. Sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah. yeah, Anthony Mason. Like you had those guys. Whereas now you kind of don't because the game is so finessed, right? And it's so much just about motion offense, shooting the three. A lot of European players that didn't have the physicality. All the fouls now. It's not. It's not. It's just totally a different game.
2: That's that's it the malice in- of the Palestine like Troy was saying. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, I think part of it's also the beautification of the game. Like, as much as I pine for enforcers and, and how fun it is to have guys who will kind of, you know, knock you around and stuff like that, you look at those scores at the end of those games in the 90s, especially in the playoffs, it's 83 to 76. And you're just, dude, like, I would rather that be a half, man.
0: Bro, <laughs> for real. You're looking at this and it's like, oh, this is a crazy game. It's back and forth, all this. And then it's like, start of the fourth quarter, let's see what happens. And it's like,
1: 66 62 and i'm like bro come on man hey (laughs) is that because (laughs) is that because of possessions or is it because field goal percentage and because of like i mean i'm sure it's a combination of things or is it because of like exclusively the three-point thing is it because defense and you can't foul people the same like what what is the recipe for for
2: that yeah i mean it's all those things it's the lack of three-point shooting it's the um inefficient two-point shots it's the, but mostly I think it's the def- defensive rules. Back then, you, um, they didn't have the ability to do. Uh, they had the ability to hand check, right? So individual yeah. players couldn't really get around a guy, very easily. Um, yeah. And you can't, you can't even touch a guy now. Like a guy like Steph Curry. As much as I love Steph Curry, um, the ability to hand check a 6'3", 170 hundred and seventy pound guy is the reason why there are no other 6'3", 170 hundred and seventy pound superstars in history other than isaiah thomas and then um there's some other guys who are kind of good like tiny archibald iverson yeah iverson's a you know um an obvious uh exemption to that so there's not a lot of guys that size Mm. who can succeed that way but now you have dame lillard and steph curry and trey young and all these guys
0: but imagine Mm. imagine 80s rules with 2010s screens you know what i mean like get Draymond
2: or Bogate out there throwing screens in the (laughs) eighties.
0: And that would look wild. That would look like a hockey check.
2: Yeah. It would be crazy. Uh, That's part of the enjoyable thing about thinking about, you know, transitioning guys between eras is how their skills would, would, you know, be used in different eras. And I think, you know, the reason why guys like Jordan and LeBron are at the top of anybody's list of greatest of all time is because they would have been great. Any era They're in no way, I think dependent upon their era for their greatness. Um, some guys are not that way.
0: Yeah, I I always laugh at the people you know who opine for the for the eighties seventies basketball. Are like, oh, these people, these new kids, they're not tough enough. And I'm like, Michael Jordan's decided to start lifting weights at thirty. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like LeBron going back in time as a six eight six nine chiseled two hundred and eighty pound person. Like I think he'd be fine.
2: You know, and Jordan yeah, dude, would be great yeah. now. Yeah. LeBron in the 80s, hand checks would have meant nothing to LeBron.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, but put, put one defender on him and you can't double team him until he has the ball. Right. Like that would have been something else for LeBron.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Injuries, though, is another aspect, right? He might have gotten injured, which he only had, what, one serious injury in his career last season? I don't know, man. He's bionic.
2: Yeah. yeah
1: maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, what else? Favorite episodes, pettiness, hot takes, what are you guys feeling?
2: So I got, you know, my favorite stuff. It wasn't just one single episode, but it's kind of peppered throughout. There was one episode that was kind of focused on it. The Dream Team stuff is always the greatest for me. It's one of my earliest memories of falling in mm. love with basketball. And The Dream Team just trounces everybody. And falling in love with the whole NBA and not just the Lakers, right? Because Magic's on the team, but he's kind of, you know, he's already retired. It's at the, you know, twilight of his career. And just saying, guys like... Barkley and Jordan and Pippen and even the big guys, Pat Ewing and Robinson and Malone, um, all these guys just dominate uh, the international players was a pretty amazing thing. And hearing the stories from behind the scenes is always great. Um, I mean, there's the famous greatest game that was ever played, which uh, there's apparently tape out there of, but it's a kind of famous practice between, I believe it was uh, Jordan and Pippen, um, were on one side and Barkley and Magic and I can't remember who else were on the other side and apparently they split a lot of their practices as far as they were pretty equally matched but this one where Magic and Barkley's team was kind of dominating and, and one of them I think it was Magic told Michael you're going to have to become Air Jordan if you want to bring your team back from this one <laughs> and started trash talking him and then Jordan just took over and scored like 16 straight points or something like that I can't remember exactly what it was and they were all just kind of in awe, like, "Yeah, this guy's the best player we've ever seen. Like, <laughs> this is incredible." He had just come off their um, first championship, so everyone knew he was ascendant. But he he was showing there that he was the greatest uh, at the time. And those stories were amazing to me. I, I wish we could find those tapes of those practices, because to a guy, they all say it was the most competitive um, games they had ever played. Those practices.
1: Do you love Do you love that stuff? Because it just gives you a sneak peek into greatness like and i know you love the sport of basketball so is that like the form like the platonic ideal like is that kind of what you're getting a glimpse into you think
2: yeah man that's just the greatest ever going against (laughs) each other yeah and they took pride in it like they they cared about beating one another did you guys ever have those moments
1: when you were watching this documentary where you like would like audibly like go like oh shit (laughs) or anything (laughs) like that (laughs) yeah Yeah, because the basketball was so good, the intensity, the story, something like, like I had, I had a few of those moments and yeah, definitely the behind the scenes. Like, like I laughed because I was just, I didn't even know what to do physically, but like whatever the response was, it came out as like a laughter, like a kind of like a, Oh my God, that's so fucking crazy. You know, like it was like, it was like ascending to the heights of, of greatness in this sport throughout the documentary. I, I don't know. I loved that.
0: When Jordan, every time I see Jordan's uh, dunk on Ewing, just, Mm. yeah, incredible. And they had so many great music cues to go with what you were watching, where like, you know, the moment would hit and then, you know, a song would hit right at the same time or crescendo at the same time. And they they put Mm. that together really well.
1: Yeah, I really dug the editing uh, of, of the whole thing, how it was put together. I really dug how they went back and forth between the second three-peat and the first P, and then they would go back even further to, like, Jordan's high school. Or, like, I really and en- i didn't know about Steve Kerr's dad. Like, I had no idea he was killed in Beirut. Like, that, which—and I didn't know that he was, like, a scholar of Middle East and that his mom's. And I'm like, oh, that's why he's so fucking articulate about— political issues and why he's got his positions that he does i'm like oh shit this all makes sense now so stuff like that i really liked how they did the and then of course they had that visual timeline that they would go back and forth between history and they kind of wove it all together it was a really and then of course you talk about the music and um the behind the scenes footage the way that it was put together i thought was actually really well done just from a formal perspective as well it was fucking cool man
0: yeah that was cool i could spend 10 hours just watching Players reacting to what they're watching on the iPad, dude. They they (laughs) put the iPad out in front of Jordan. He's like listening to someone else talk or watching a play. Like that's I'm here for ten hours of athlete shit talking, this elite level, greatest of all time shit
2: talking. Dude, that that is what it's. That's the by far the best part of all of this. Just watching Jordan's face, looking at an iPad while Isaiah Thomas is bullshitting or Reinsdorf is bullshitting, (laughs) and him just with that smirk of like, "Fuck this guy, man." Whatever. It's My so favorite great. was when
1: he when he laughs and does that little head, that little head <laughs> <Yeah>, tossle. <laughs> I think was that was that one when, when when Reggie when Reggie Miller said that uh, that they or was that when um, was Gary, when Payton, fucking Gary, Gary Payton, Gary Payton said him. that he could have oh, yeah. guarded him. Yeah. Yeah, and
0: the um, funny thing is, I didn't have a problem with the glove, man. I didn't have a problem with the glove. I didn't have a problem with the glove. (laughs) The funny thing is, he did have a problem with the glove. Yeah, he did. (laughs) (laughs) But he's just like dismissing it out of hand. That's what I need. I need pettiness. I need lies. (laughs) I need bravado. Give it to me.
2: Yeah, Yeah, and and just uh, that the the shit talking and the trash talking. Um, that's part of the best part of the behind the scenes stuff, right? Is you see them actually saying things that they say to each other shit-talking behind the scenes that aren't going to be approved for, you know, the general audience. And so, there's a, there's several of them, like, he, he and Bird. What was it? When he beat yeah. the Pacers and Bird was coaching and he goes back and gives him a hug and just says, you bitch, fuck you, and then leaves.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man.
0: People want, like, moralistically, or like, oh, we need better sportsmanship and we need yada yada, you know, stand up and embrace, you know, defeat graciously or Success graciously And it's like No man
2: Fuck you bitch I got you <laughs> Yeah Well what's great is I you think it actually up, Is Bill, You know <laughs> Like yeah You don't shit talk Someone you don't respect sure. You just you just dunk on them And then leave Like you don't care About them right You shit talk mm-hmm. someone You actually respect Unless Unless you're Jordan
0: is, I was gonna say Unless you're sense? Jordan Because cause He's here for he, Scott Burrell He's here for yes. that Other poor dude that, Yeah That you know.
1: shit is just cruel Yeah <laughs> what's the name of that dude, the rookie guy that he made up the story about? Like,
2: oh yeah, I couldn't remember that guy's name.
1: <laughs> yeah. So for people for people listening, so there's this famous story that there's this rookie who comes in who has a really good game against the Bulls, puts up like 36 or 37 or something like that. And at the end of the game, like goes up to Jordan and says, you know, good game, Mike, something along those lines. And Jordan, I guess told that to players or to the media or something like that and use that as fuel for the next game and basically said, I'm going to score his entire point total from the game in, in one half in the first half. And he, he basically does, right? The guy scored 37 the game before, and he scored 36 in the first half or whatever. And then I think I had heard this before, that that actually never happened, that the the rookie guy never made that comment after the game. But Jordan fucking manufactured this <laughs> to use this as motivation so that he could go out and Rip up this rookie, man. The guy's a fucking nobody. It's not like he respects the guy. He's like, he just needed to manufacture some bullshit story so that he could go out there and and do it. And he constantly did that, right? He constantly manufactured shit.
2: Yeah, it's really weird, man. Like, I know people need um, weird motivations to engage in like, extremely competitive um, athletics and stuff like that. But it's, it's weird to think the psychological nature or status of like making up beliefs and convincing yourself that it's true there's there's yeah. one where george carl when they're playing the sonics on um, the finals george carl who also went to north carolina so he and jordan had a uh a, you know previous relationship and respect for one another and george carl just like passes him in the restaurant right, right before the final started or something yeah and he just goes the, the classic jordan line that he says like 37 times in the documentary that was it that's all i needed yeah that was it that's, yeah yeah <laughs> Like it w- and then like Malone wins the MVP
1: one year, so that's his motivation to like turn it up an extra notch. George Carl walks past him, um, whatever he was constantly feeling like he wasn't getting everything and it was like he needed everything right or something I don't I don't know what it was, but yeah, it was fucking crazy
2: which makes you think, dude, as competitive as he is and clearly he's psychotically competitive right to the point of having to make up epistemic justification for his for his like his um performances um this dude is a terrible judge of talent as an owner um with the uh <laughs> with the hornets just god awful one of the worst in the league how does he satisfy his competitive nature constantly losing and constantly uh, never even like coming close to anything competitive never really like the best player they've ever had i think he's ever drafted was kemba walker i think as far as i can remember who made like one all-star team before they traded him away um so i can't imagine what he goes through because he's he's got to be as competitive being an owner as he was as a player at least you know 70 percent of it and he just he can't be satisfying that right now how must, he must be miserable
0: he must be miserable how miserable must it be if you're one of the players that he drafted and he's just part, <laughs> like you know you're walking through the office and Jordan comes by and is just like, you bitch, you know, like under his breath, and you're like, <laughs> bro, what? <laughs> I'm trying out here. I'm practicing. I'm doing the drills. And he's just looking at him, just like, just with full condescension, full <laughs> disgust and contempt. Just like, you, you disgust me.
1: <laughs> I mean, do you think he's just one of those dudes that, that, uh, I don't know. Like, I'm sure he gets his rocks off somehow with, with making the money that he makes. Obviously, he's, enjoying the whiskey and the cigars um, and he's got a a badass pad so he's cool with that but like maybe his competitive nature doesn't extend to him being an executive maybe he is still living in the glory days of being the player and that's the problem right because I mean how many people are amazing players and then they try to go and be a coach and they just they're not as good at being a coach so maybe there is some sort of like incommensurability there but maybe also like that's why he releases this documentary. Maybe that's why he has the trophy room, that business that his son runs. You know, Maybe that's why he has his brand that is still Air Jordan, that is still pushing out sneakers because he can dominate in those things and that's what he knows he's good at. So he, as long as he can dominate in those things, then that's okay for him. You know, And he just is like, fuck it. I don't care. I'm making my millions as, as an owner.
2: I mean I, the least you can say for it is as, as bad as he is as a judge of talent and as an executive, he's better than Magic Johnson was in any of those things so but at least you know magic seems to have the ability to be competitive in business and other ventures that he cares about right whatever his positions are in those things right Um, whereas jordan still wants to be involved 100 percent in basketball It seems like
0: magic like appears happy you know whenever you see him he's always got a big broad (laughs) smile he's you know slapping hands with everybody he's been the mayor of los angeles for decades jordan doesn't look super happy man
1: no, what's up with his eyes? Is he just drunk all the time? Or they're like super red all the time.
0: Yeah, he's got the cheddar cheese eyes. It's unfortunate. Is it
1: because he's is it cause he's drunk? Is that what the deal is? Oh,
2: well, they're for sure giving him whiskey before these shoots, right, to make sure that he's ready and loose.
1: Dude, he had a gla- he had a glass of whiskey next to him
2: and a fucking cigar for most of the interviews, you know? And most of the games apparently too. So here's the thing, right? Guys like Kobe were renowned for incredible work ethic, always being prepared for everything, right? And so we kind of assume, and you know, LeBron kind of similar, except for his like wine drinking habit. Um, you kind of assume Jordan was the same way, and clearly he was in terms of like practice and work ethic. But this dude seems like he smoked giant cigars before every game, drank mm-hmm. himself silly, and ate entire pizzas by himself the night before <laughs> a finals game. Like, how how bad do you feel if he beat your ass after smoking a giant stogie and then eating a whole pizza
0: yeah you're bodied up on him and you're just like dude this dude stinks (laughs) 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 this dude is musty as hell and he's just waxing me right now there's nothing i can do about it uh so kind of related
1: (laughs) did you guys hear about percy harvin the nfl player that came out that basically said he was high for every single game he played in the nfl
0: (laughs) that's that i think is pretty common like not to bring everything back to the warriors but that we believe team they were so high like Coach was super high. Uh, Don Nelson's got his own marijuana farm in Hawaii. Yeah.
1: Oh, you know, does he? Like,
0: yeah, yeah. People, people are playing pretty high.
1: Yeah, yeah. See, I know this in the uh, in the ju- the jujitsu and mixed martial arts world um, that it's freaking huge, and so they've they've had to loosen up restrictions on on actually using it for medicinal purposes, but also just because now it's recreationally legal in you know so many states around the US but uh, yeah this is like the the dirty secret of athletics right like wasn't there a dude I think in the Olympics a snowboarder that got his medal stripped because he was high on marijuana and that's <laughs> a performance enhancing drug or something looks like what the fuck
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that stuff's always wild man
1: I know but it does relax you and everything so I don't know
0: I mean that was uh, you know Ricky Williams famously was kicked out of the NFL multiple times for smoking yeah. weed.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and then he retired because he basically just wanted to smoke weed and was like, fuck this, I keep getting these suspensions, right? Yeah. <laughs> of course, he came back, but yeah. I know, I know, I know. All right, what else, Troy? What else uh, do you want to talk about?
2: I got a question for you guys. So there's been some pushback on the documentary from several sources, I think most prominent of which is Ken Burns, the famous documentarian. And he criticized The Last Dance. In large part, I think because you know Jordan having exclusive control over the whole documentary and when it was released, what's in it, all that kind of stuff, seems to, in some sense, be in tension with the, um, the documentary itself purporting to be about the Bulls in 1998, largely, right? And the sort of um, team dynamics and overcoming adversity to win the sixth championship and stuff like that. And that... Jordan having control over what's said and it really being a documentary almost entirely about Jordan with short shrift given to even the the other major figures like Pippin, Rodman and Phil Jackson. They get their little you know um, third half episodes or so, but it's really about how it revolves around Jordan's legacy in the end. Um, what do you guys think about that criticism that the Last Hands isn't really like objective documentarian or um, uh, doesn't really fit the, like documentarian ethics? that are appropriate to, to something like uh, uh, sports history or athletic history.
0: I mean, I think that's pretty unquestionably true. This was a documentary that came together with the principal subject as the owner of the film. And there's two other corporations in partnership with, with each other who are putting it together. Like, of course, it's only showing you what they want to show you. But I think that if you un- take this documentary more as... Um, an autobiography, and just like a nostalgia trip, then it's really enjoyable. But I, I don't know. The the things that you glean and that you learn, I think, are incidental rather than primary. Primarily, it's just a nostalgia trip, and you're just there to have a good time.
1: Mm. Also, I mean, the Last Dance really was Jordan's team it kind of was Jordan's story you know that doesn't mean that athletics basketball isn't a team sport and that there aren't all kinds of things everything from the executive story all the way down to like the role players that need to be considered but you know there is a way of telling that story that is more just simply team focused but I think that there's this wonderful mythological story that you can tell that was told in this way that it's told through the lens of Jordan. This being Jordan's swan song, right? Ignoring for the fact that he came back, you know, a few years later, quite a few years later, and had his uh, his encore with the Wizards. But like, yeah, that never happened. This, dude. Episodes yeah, eleven know, and
0: twelve. Yeah. Let's get <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wondered if they were going to go into that, but then I was like, no, why? they couldn't do that because that would that would tarnish the myth, that would tarnish the legacy. Whereas this is this is a documentary that is a narrative right it's uh it's a narratival fiction or i'm sorry it's a it's a narratival nonfiction, and uh of course it's going to be told from a perspective and it's going to be subjective i i don't know if i buy into the whole documentary and ethics that you're trying to be objective and stuff like that because first of all i just don't think that's possible and second of all i just don't think that that's um that's something that's even desirable right like i want i want the kind of like narrow focus i want the skewed perspective i want to be able to because when you when you lie and you like wrap it up and like oh this is this pure objectivity i'm just letting the subjects speak for themselves you're lying you're actually hiding the ideology whereas at least this is fucking extremely clear that we know the bias going into it
0: yeah i don't think like the new york times sort of like we're stepping back and we're just telling you what everyone said bro you know like yeah right just come out with it this is jordan's doc he's calling scott Borella ho and that's what it is <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah i mean i i agree that the the idea that you can just stand back and tell the unvarnished truth whatsoever is not the way a documentaries are actually done they always are going to have some sort of you know narratable perspective you can do that more and less responsibly and so if this was a pure documentary, yeah. it would have been very irresponsibly done in that way. But who gives a shit? Like, this is clearly just seeing Jordan. Sh- this is entertainment, right? It's seeing Jordan yeah. kind of relive his moments of glory, react to what um, the people he was dealing with at the time have to say about it. Isaiah Thomas, Gary Payton, you know, Magic, Pip and everything else. Um, and having fun going through that, like Matt's saying, the nostalgia trip with Jordan. It's kind of experiencing totally. as if you're kind of on the couch next to him. You know, smoking a cigar, drinking some whiskey and asking him questions about, um, you know, the six championships, which is all all you'd want it to be.
1: Yeah, and and I think it's actually very true to a particular angle, right? In in the sense that like by going on this nostalgia trip through the lens of Jordan's interpretation, you actually get like – A particular narrative that actually exists in the public consciousness and you get to like almost live it heightened in in a heightened sense you get to live the air jordan experience but in 2020 right Mm -hmm. and i think that's what's so cool about it is that if maybe if you're not coming at it from a critical perspective then you might like you might get annoyed or you might get caught up in the mystification but i enjoy the myth like i i want to live in that myth because then i think to me, I'm like, oh, obviously it's myth, so let's just forget about that. Let's enjoy it. But then also, too, it becomes a really interesting cultural artifact, you know?
0: And you're, you're getting something different, too. Because so as you mentioned, Austin, like, Jordan at the time was such an other that you had no idea what was mm-hmm. going on in his head. And he was such a corporate figurehead for so many different entities that he, he – and he talked about this in the documentary. Like, he was really trying to keep himself in a very narrow lane, a very narrow box and he's letting you see him as a great athlete, but that's pretty much it. And you hear these stories, and you read these different books about what a maniac and sociopath Jordan was, but you didn't get that necessarily from Jordan straight away. And in this documentary, you're able to to hear, like, oh, wow, you know, those stories that I had heard before that I'm seeing replayed here are now animated in a different way.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. What did you guys? There was one point that I was actually really surprised with, and I kind of wanted to like psychoanalyze it. Remember the bit when he starts to cry about being like, "If you don't want to win in the same way that I do, and then he actually starts to get choked up and he can't do it anymore, and he calls a break in the interview. Like, taking the fact that he's probably boozed up at that point out of it for a second why does why does he cry at that point? Like what is it? Do you think it's just that he was like so – he's so frustrated that other people didn't get him and that they didn't like – like what is it? Is is it that he loves winning so much? I think that's bullshit. That's like some like, oh, he just loves winning so much. No, no, no. There's something personal here that that he has taken as like a personal slight and that's why he started crying there I think. What, what, what do you guys think was going on?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think you're right to say that it's worthy of, you know, being psychoanalyzed because there's a like a long strain of like Jordan's relationship with his father, which was clearly one that was like the most important relationship to him in his life Just to the point where after his father was you know murdered in the mid 90s, he both quits basketball and even when he comes back, surrounds himself with old African-American dudes mm. uh, who are, you know, interestingly' or non-coincidentally, just like his father, personality-wise, <laughs> who are there to be by his side at all times, giving him advice. Um, and he mm. even shows genuine affection for was it the guy Gus, who was like his uh, head of his security team, who gets cancer and he has to go have surgery, and Jordan's like there by his bedside, which mm. is not the thing you expect from the you know the the multi-millionaire, most famous person in the world. So there's just like a strong strain, it seems to me, of he we call him a psychopath because he acts like that competitively, but he clearly has a An emotional and like a a deep affectionate side where he probably wonders whether he's lived his life in the way that makes him the most satisfied and happy by giving into his competitive edge or making his competitive nature, uh, giving a priority over anything else. I bet he wonders that a lot because he seems to have some doubts about whether he's treated people the best way that he could have or whether it's really ultimately right. And he seems to come back to the conclusion that I mean, I won, I won the championships and I'm the greatest basketball player ever. And so I guess I think that's justified. Um, mm. That justifies what I've done. But he seems to have some doubts about that. Like it's not something that he's fully um, internalized and accepted.
0: Yeah, he mm. voiced that a little bit. You know, that part of the reason that this footage sat on ice for so long and part of the reason why he, he was nervous about it coming out now is he, he said that he thought that it would affect the way that people thought of him. That, peop- that he would come across basically too ugly, too mean. You know, mm. it's, and that's something that I think that he understands. He doesn't understand how other people, which is what, part of why, you know, he would be a bad coach. He's been a bad GM and, and owner. He doesn't understand not being this way. You know, like he's looking at Scottie Pippen with a migraine and he's like, why aren't you out there? I'd be out there. You know, like he doesn't, uh, right. he, he doesn't, he understands that there's something that is innate to him that's not in other people and something that drives him. That's not in other people.
2: And I think that he does seem
0: to be a little self-conscious about it. Yeah. Which makes it a really
2: interesting subject, right? And they don't, they don't do too much with that, but the moments where he is actually introspective and, and and wondering about um, how his image is affected and whether or not he's actually done good in the world by, being so competitive and delivering great things in the form of entertainment and whatnot, but maybe he wasn't the greatest person. Those are the most interesting personal moments in the documentary, I think, and I I applaud them for at least you know doing getting down to that a few times, even if it was mostly just you know shit talking.
1: Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, because that, that, that's also something that people talk about with when they talk about the greatest athlete. And one of the things that always comes up with Muhammad Ali is that Muhammad Ali is the greatest because he also had this political and humanitarian element to him. It wasn't just the fact that he was a dominant champion, right? So it's like one of the things that you can say about LeBron is that LeBron is also… Got a really rich humanitarian socio political set of concerns. He's also a really kind of important brand ambassador. He's also a good role model, right? Like his whole thing with like wanting to play every game. And I think Jordan even echoed it, but like, he's like, I want to play every game. He's like, because what if some kid is there, and this is the only game they can go see, and they, want, they, they came to see me play, I'm going to play. So there's something that he's playing for something bigger than just himself. Bigger than just winning, I would say. And that almost makes the conversation totally different for how you even, the criteria by which you judge Jordan versus LeBron. Jordan might be the greatest winner, competitor, but like LeBron has a different set of criteria by which I think we actually judge him in terms of being a personality in the 21st century.
2: Yeah, it's also fun that they're both huge dorks when it comes <laughs> down to it. They're both so so isolated from, you know, actually being judged by their, you know, social actions because they're they've been in the spotlight their entire lives that they're both huge dorks. The way that Jordan dresses and the way that LeBron does his Taco Tuesday bullshit. <laughs>
1: You mean they're not, it's not like the cool guy aloofness stuff that you get?
2: Yeah, like Kobe was always, was mostly that cool guy. Except for like that one, that one photo shoot he did with like the all white. that that photo shoot. That was the moment (laughs) where Kobe exposed some of the like the dorkiness at the heart of someone who's never really been able to undergo full like social judgment uh, process. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I guess we're we're kind of maybe coming up towards the end here. What's your like your final takeaway? Something else you wanted to say, or biggest thing, or whatever? Is there anything uh, anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up?
2: I got a couple of questions I wanted to run by Telly and see what he thought about them. <laughs> All right. One was we mentioned earlier that there's a, a series of uh, lies that Jordan tells throughout the whole documentary series, right? Um, and one of the big ones that even became a big issue on like a uh, um, and the cultural conversation, I think, when it, after it aired was in 91, when the Bulls finally oust the Pistons, who had beat them something like three years in a row. Um, and the Pistons had won the previous two championships in 89 and 90, uh, although they only beat the Lakers because uh, Magic and Byron were hurt. Um, just a little <laughs> history there. Um, they, the Bulls finally oust the Pistons It started their great rival at the time. And infamously, the Pistons walk off the floor with like 10 seconds left. Um, Don't shake the hands of the Bulls, which the Bulls had always done when the Pistons beat them in previous years. Uh, And there's this kind of uh, story around it where Jordan held that against Isaiah Thomas, who was the best player and leader of the Pistons. Um, So much so that he even kept Isaiah Thomas from being on the Dream Team um, the next summer. And Isaiah Thomas clearly deserved as one of the best players ever to be on that team. Um, What did you think about the whole shaking hands thing. Is that really what it's like talked up to be? Do you think that the Pistons and and Thomas in particular had really done something unforgivable in that sense? Or is Jordan overreacting?
0: Jordan, you can always assume like, if that's, if there's a question, the answer is Jordan's overreacting. Like (laughs) every every single time dude, like, You know, was it kind of whack? It was kind of whack, but that's really like as much as it is. You don't, nobody's like for real, for real mad about that. People, you know, you tell yourself that you're mad about it, but nobody's actually mad about it. You know, I think Isaiah in the doc pointed out that the, the Celtics did the same thing the year before to them. It's something that plenty, everybody's fave has walked off the court at some point without shaking hands it's not a big deal i don't i don't understand you know like my man always wants to just make beef up in his head nobody cares
1: yeah yeah but i've yeah. known people like that in life right where they're like remember that one time at the party that person did this thing and i'm like bro what what are you talking <laughs> about like whether or not it happened who cares like get the fuck over it like they the Pistons clearly did it because wasn't it the, the – I think it was someone said that Bill Lame Beer went over to Isaiah and was like, we're not shaking these motherfuckers' hands or something yeah. like that. Like, mm-hmm. I kind of like that. Like, from a, from a, like, dudes just being dudes and kind of like, <laughs> oh, fuck, fuck these. I kind of think that's funny. Now, do I think that's sportsmanlike? No. Uh, do I think it's stupid and petty? Yes. But I think it's kind of fun. Like, there's something kind of like, oh, these motherfuckers did that? Okay, cool. But – to hold it as a grudge where you actually withhold somebody from being on a team and clearly still use it as some kind of ammunition, I think that's where it gets a little weird. Like it gets weird, like actually weird.
2: Yeah, dude. I mean, a lot of people didn't like Isaiah Thomas. I mean, I think the, the rumor was that he kind of, he was really good friends with magic Johnson throughout their whole career. Uh, Magic being from Michigan, Isaiah plays up in Detroit, uh, his whole career. And when magic got HIV, Isaiah Thomas spread rumors about magic's sexuality um, behind the scenes, which had a lot of credence given their, their close relationship. Um, Magic held that against Isaiah, but Jordan clearly cared more about the shaking hands thing than magic cared about the (laughs) questioning my sexuality thing, which in 1991 would have been, you know, much more hurtful than it probably would have been today um, given how people would have taken that. And it would have hurt Magic's brand and his, you know, reputation and stuff. Given the, um, the time, so yeah, it, it's it's clearly uh, a case where Jordan's using things as fuel, but then also extending that beyond to like ruin a guy's career. Like if Isaiah Thomas had been on the dream team, I'm sure that his his reputation, his stature today, would have been much better than it is now.
0: Yeah, that dude was great, and nobody really thinks of him that way.
2: And there was there was Isaiah, things. yeah,
0: Isaiah. Like, that team was great, and for him to to be able to be, like, taking a team to the finals consistently at his size was completely unheard of at the time. You know, as Troy mentioned earlier, like, little guys didn't make it. You know, even Jordan was considered to be too small to really be a reliable leader. You know, obviously, once he started playing, those concerns went away, but... Yo, you- and Isaiah Thomas
2: was 511
0: yeah that's crazy <laughs> that's crazy
2: yo yeah if you want some good Isaiah Thomas footage I think it's the 1988 um, finals the Lakers versus the Pistons and Isaiah Thomas sprains his ankle right before halftime something like that comes out hobbling on one leg in the second half and scores like 20 something points in the fourth quarter or whatever it is and you can he's clearly like he's taking jump shots and falling on one leg yeah so he doesn't hurt himself.
0: Yeah, that's the stuff that, you know, we love. Th- those are the mythologies that we, like, really get after. But he he also had, like, two complications. One, he's from Chicago, played in Detroit. And so he's, like, the best basketball player that had ever come out of Chicago at that time. But then Jordan's the best player in Chicago. And so that, that kind of yeah. leads to some, some weird things. And Jordan was very involved in the community there so like he was he would have been into it so that you can see that there's ways that that would be complicated and isaiah had made the comments about larry bird a year or two before yeah and that really has changed public
2: opinion about him as well what did he say comments, about larry he said that if larry bird um was black he'd just be another guy Oh, and they, which is the, the dumbest shit imaginable. It's
0: really dumb, and he was repeating <laughs> that. I think from someone else. It was it was inexcusably dumb, but he and uh, Bird were fine after that because there's if anybody was anti-white player in the NBA, it was Larry Bird. Larry Bird would consistently <laughs> be offended if he was defended by a white player.
1: He was really like, yeah. Well it was pretty fun. Remember though we learned we learned from Space Jam that Larry's not white, he's clear. <laughs> so. Yeah. Hey, what do you guys think? What do you guys think about uh them going into the the famous rumor, the famous conspiracy theory that Jordan was forced to retire because of his gambling debt. First of all, I'm really glad they actually went into that, but uh, what did you guys think about it? Because I really want that to be true. I want that to be true, and I want the Magic Johnson rumors to be true, just because I think they're fucking insane.
2: I mean, I, I just don't get how it works. Like, the the commi- The only reason to suspend a guy is because you're showing to the public that we're, take- we're making these guys res- responsible for their actions, right? That's the reason why you suspend a guy. Why would you suspend the guy who is responsible for, like, half of your league revenue alone? Right for a year and a half, and not even publicize it as a hey, we're actually holding him responsible. I just don't get it. Like they would just push everything under the rug, if all they cared about was protecting the league status and and stuff like that. I don't get why unless you'd make him go away for a year well, and a half. This, this is my
1: my my theory in support of the conspiracy that he was actually gambling on basketball too. And then, I don't believe this, okay? I'm just saying this was fun. Um, (laughs) That what if he were gambling on basketball too? And you've obviously got the Pete Rose debacle with Major League Baseball. And so what Stern does is he nips nips it in the bud before all of this shit can get out, tells Jordan to fucking cool off. This shit can't happen anymore, right? And that's the idea. It isn't a suspension, but it's much more of like a, yo, you got to stop doing this. And um, I'm, I'm asking you to step away. Or maybe he was even like technically fired or released or something like that because they knew that it would be a, a debacle. That would be the only way that I could see it really making much sense.
2: I just wouldn't the whole reason for doing that and threatening him be to safeguard the league's revenue, which you then kill for all the time that he's gone?
1: Yeah, but you know he's coming back. And when he comes back, then it'll be the triumphant return and your valuations that, go through the that's roof. That's
2: pretty speculative, man. Like yeah. he changes his whole body. He becomes like a two hundred and thirty pound, heavy legged slugger, right? I mean, that's a lot. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't,
0: I don't, I don't buy that one. I, you can talk to me about David Stern uh, rigging the NBA draft in favor of the Knicks. I'm here for that. Yeah, one. yeah.
1: But uh,
0: <laughs> the Jordan one doesn't make sense. To me. <laughs>
1: it's the it's the envelope man it had a bent corner on it (laughs) you can see it bro if you zoom in you you zoom in you can see it he's he's digging around to find the one with the bent corner
0: Uh, yeah
1: no that that was good um
0: i want to get into my favorite sociopathic jordan moment all right what is it all right so like obviously he talks a lot of shit to a lot of people he's the famous like Clip of him gripping that baseball bat with a cigar in his mouth, just like <laughs> silently <laughs> contemplating how he's gonna ruin all the players that he sees the next day. But to me, it's the Kenny Lattimore tape. <laughs> that's that's
2: the dorkiness coming out again, dude. Yeah. That's
0: no, that's the that's that's how you know he's a sociopath, right? So like we <laughs> all played high school sports, and you put together a mixtape where you you have really aggressive music to get you up to the level. Of playing with that aggression and fire Jordan the truly crazy ones listen to music to bring them down <laughs> <laughs> well, they bring their aggression down to a manageable place like it's, he's not listening to Metallica he doesn't listen to rap he's out there listening to R&B and that's how you know that he's truly crazy James Harrison that crazy motherfucker from the Steelers he was out yeah. there listening to R&B music it's like the guy that gets into a fight and he's crying while he's throwing punches. Yeah, yeah. Like these are these are sociopaths. <laughs> you can't you just can't trust yourself around them. You gotta watch the whole time. Just listen to Kenny Lattimore, bro. Who does that? And he's stunned oh, on him like, oh I got the new Kenny Lattimore tape. No one's heard this before. <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah, 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 yeah. No one's going to hear it. What are you talking about?
1: <laughs> hey, I will say Kenny Lattimore had a fucking a moment on Twitter right after this. <laughs>
0: he did. Oh he no. He had no, a no, moment.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he had an absolute <laughs> moment on Twitter where he was like, yeah, my shit was featured. And, the, and I was like, I had to Google who Kenny <laughs> Lattimore was. Man. I didn't know.
0: Yeah, stay away. Once you hear that, like, if I'm in the other locker room, I'm like, all right, that's it. I think my hammy's sore. I don't need, I don't yeah. need those problems.
2: <gasps> yeah, that uh, sounds like, like Michael Madsen in a Reservoir Dog shit.
0: <laughs> <like>. <laughs> yes.
2: Yes. Yeah, Michael Jordan's a Quentin Tarantino character. That's what
0: we've. De- <laughs> <laughs> That's what we've decided to do.
2: This. Dude, if, if we had Quentin Tarantino doing the Jordan movie, that would be amazing. I'll, I'll put fifty. And have to him. have a revisionist ending too.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. And the revisionist end, uh, ending. I think LeBradford Smith ends up taking him down in the finals or something. <laughs> Just
2: after that, after that time that Jordan went after him. Yeah. All right. So I got a question. We can maybe end on here. So, given that this format of a ten-part documentary um, that's mostly built around shit talking and nostalgia is now going to be a formula that others uh, replicate, which would you guys rather see as the next Last Dance: a ten-part documentary series on the Shaq Kobe Lakers, or on the Hamptons Five Warriors?
1: I mean, I mean, pers- I, personally, it's the Shaq Kobe Lakers,
2: even if you don't get to involve Kobe.
1: I mean, yeah, I guess that's a good point With without Kobe being involved. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um. Oh, fuck. I guess the documentary wouldn't be the same, would it?
2: Because he'd have the best zingers for sure.
1: For sure. Yeah, having him, and yeah. Shaq
0: go back and forth after each other. You know what, Kobe?
1: You're an idiot, You know, just like <laughs> doing his thing and then, yeah. Do we have
2: behind-the-scenes footage of, of a lot of their run? I mean, I'm sure we have... A good amount given that it was LA and there was just tons and tons of media around but it would probably mostly be anecdotal I mean I'm not sure how much video footage there is which is the best theoretically the best thing?
1: it would have it would be rad if there were a Kobe doc because then you'd have the, the the Kobe shack but then you'd also have like the Kobe Gasol Lakers right and there was some really good, like, basketball rivalry, but also the stories about Kobe punching players in practice and shit like that. And then, like, it'd be really interesting to go into... You know, remember that bit before they get Paul Gasol where he straight up says, I want to be traded on the radio? Mm-hmm. And I remember I was at college, bro. I was at college. um, And I remember listening on fucking... I don't remember who he's talking with, Paulus, whatever the, the, who was it? Like Westwood One or whatever he was being interviewed by. And he's like, they're like, are you saying you want to be traded? He's like, yeah, I want to be traded. I was like, oh, I remember listening to that over and over. And I was like, he, like somehow I heard it wrong. I was like, did he actually straight up say, I want to be traded? I, that was the Dude, craziest thing.
2: I remember dissecting that interview and then going onto ESPN and looking at Luol Ding's stats just to console <laughs> myself. Like maybe it won't be that bad. Maybe it won't be that bad. Luol Deng's kind of good.
0: Oh man. oh man, dude,
2: that was, that was incredible. I, I
0: was in college with you guys at the time there in LA. Yeah. I'm a Warriors fan, but I'm also a LeBron fan at that time because, you know, being a Warriors mm. fan, like you, there's four games on television where we lose every one of them. <laughs> um, but the whole Kobe LeBron thing, I felt that LeBron was better, like genuinely, but I also thought it was really funny because like, you say anything about Kobe in L.A. and people lose their minds? Like, back then. <laughs> at this point, I don't, I don't even know what it would be. But, like, yeah, man. Like, Kobe was just wanted to get out. He, he was like, no, I'm yeah. at peace. I'm out. And he quit in the playoffs the year before against the Suns. You know, it was, like, all weird and fun. The Warriors don't have any footage from the Hampton Five, unfortunately. Because so Clay Thompson's dad, or uncle, Was the one who took the footage in the Jordan Dock, and he wanted to take footage. Oh, was it? Yeah, and he wanted to do the same thing um, with the
2: Warriors last year, and Steve Kerr's like, "Hell no." Oh, that would have been so great, dude! Can you imagine all the background Draymond footage? Oh, it would be gold,
0: dude! All the Durant footage. I don't. That dude, man. That dude.
1: (laughs) Would they go into his his burner Twitter accounts that he has and shit like that?
0: (laughs) He would get into these hour-long arguments with random twitter followers in his dms like if if you were just a guy with 50 followers in the bay area and you said something about durant he'll find you and then start arguing with you about it it's the weirdest thing
1: yeah yeah that is so weird man yeah, I think my – so my biggest takeaway from this whole thing, and I kind of even tweeted about it, was like I grew up – you know, everyone did singing Be Like Mike. I want to be like Mike and, you know, you've got the Nike Just Do It and shit like that. And one of the things that really was my biggest takeaway from this whole doco was that uh, Jordan was a bit of a psychotic when it came to his competitive spirit. Like he wanted everything. He needed it all. And I've been thinking a lot because, you know, just in terms of like media studies stuff, I've been thinking a lot about like Insta culture and like – kind of like late neoliberal positivity where it's like you can do you and success is measured by this and everyone is obsessed with success and success and success and success I really think that everybody thinks that they're like a fucking superstar athlete like like I think that everybody goes to the gym or everybody tries to like face Monday not everybody but a large majority of people who think along these lines I think they literally think that they're professional athletes and I actually think that maybe we should not all try to be professional athletes right like Like, it's cool to not try to be a fucking weird psychotic who has to win at everything, you know? But it's, like, so cool, and it's almost become just part of, like, everyday life that it's just assumed that that's how you ought to face your day. And that's how you ought to work in your, you know, mid-level management position. Or that's how you ought to, like, do every fucking thing that you do for the corporate world. I don't think that's the case, man.
0: I saw someone... um Was talking about how Michael Jordan, even though he spanned across decades, was really a prototypical '80s player in his mindset and in just like the things that he brought with the like "greed is good" type type of attitude. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just going to get in there and destroy whatever's in front of me. It it's really interesting to see the way that he was sort of carrying a different cultural. You know, set of norms
1: through, like a product of Reagan's America, almost. Yeah,
2: like very, very much so. That's really interesting. Yeah, I think there's you know just a do a little ethics here for a second um, because it's pertinent. There's, I think you can recognize that the things that Jordan found value in are valuable things, like competitive greatness and um, achieving things with the people. Um, have n't before and you know great spectacles of entertainment and whatnot, and you can you can sort of honor those things as being valuable things in and of themselves, and then also say, but they're not as valuable as like living a good life. <laughs> right. And Jordan's, you know, the potential of you know Jordan's misery right now, or the misery of anybody who I think lives life like that, is going to be evidence of the fact that they they actually wonder and probably don't necessarily believe that they lived the best life they could have, while still mm-hmm. you know acknowledging the fact that the things that they went after are are indeed valuable. They're not even worthless.
0: Yeah. No it seems like the documentary was really Jordan saying like you don't you don't want to be me. You know, and that's something that he'd repeated over the course even in his career of like you you'd love to be Jordan for a day or for a few hours, but you wouldn't mm. want you wouldn't want this life. And I think he understands that you know the things that he thought that he was going to achieve with um, the greatness that he had, you know, being esteemed, having the wealth, having the glory, all of that. And he's just sort of trapped like a zoo animal in his house or wherever he is, with people surrounding him, trying to, to look, to touch, to, to get something from him. It's, yeah, it seems like he didn't quite get everything that he was hoping for from his greatness.
2: Do you dude think had to you know play how's... quarters in a back room with some weird out looking motherfucker <laughs> to get his competitive juices out. Like he was, a I love that addict, guy man. so much. That's, that's, like, he I, had, I like, had a moment too on social. Media he had a moment afterwards. too. He had a moment. For I, think, sure. I think he passed away, but his, his family certainly was happy to see him get the get his due. No one, you know no how... one shrugged back at that dude. Shrugged at Jordan <laughs> that was... after beating him. No one else did that. <laughs> that guy's a legend. That was truly the greatest moment.
0: <laughs> In the dock. Like, like everybody, nobody who went against him, like all of the greats, Isaiah, Malone, Barkley, none of them hit Jordan with that, like, with something that we could bring that shrug out. You know, it was just like <laughs> right in his face. Man. <laughs> You know how
1: like they always say that athletes want to be rappers and so or musicians, and you got like Dame who's Dame Dala, and he like uh, releases his stuff, and you got all these other people like Shaq who's released albums, and everyone's always right. And then of course there's always like that that uh, musicians want to be athletes too, so they always have like the celebrity games. Even someone like fucking Kevin Hart who's a comedian, right? Like he plays and stuff like that. And so there's always like this like you the grass is kind of greener kind of thing. Do you think that, like, the greatness of being a musician, a rock star, a hip-hop artist, um, a fashion designer or something like that pales in comparison to being, like, Michael Jordan? Like, I'm trying to think of, like, maybe Michael Jackson versus Michael Jordan. Who else in music? Like, maybe, like, Paul McCartney versus Michael Jordan. Like, is there, like, a greatness intensity that exhibits itself in one arena more than the other? Or do you think kind of no?
0: I don't know about the arena, but Jordan – Jordan is up there with the Michael Jacksons. Paul McCartney, like, Paul McCartney walks into a room and you're not sure whose grandma he is. But, you know, like, Michael Jordan <laughs> walks into a room and you're like, damn, that's Michael Jordan. You think so? You know, and, and I like, the gravitas yeah. of your
2: physical presence, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's true. You know, the, a random NBA player versus a random rapper, I don't know, it's kind of a toss-up
1: yeah but like the greatest of the great in music and the greatest of the great in in sports like who has a bigger cultural impact who's quote unquote greater or bigger you know I think it's
0: so much of you see the face of the athlete like especially with with basketball and I I don't think that it works with football it doesn't work with baseball those dudes are anonymous Mike Trout could come into my house right now and say he's Mike Trout (laughs) and I'd be like yeah okay so what who are you again but like, with basketball- you, you just hand him a PBR and be like,
2: you okay, bro? Yeah, like,
0: yeah. You, yeah. what do you hear? You're here to bow the lawn? Like, what are you doing? I don't know. But um, like,
1: The with- frat party's next door, bro. Sorry. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, we're playing beer pockets in the backyard. Um, <laughs> no, but like with, with basketball, the, it's about personalities. You really get to know who those people are. And you see their face the whole time. You know, when it comes mm. to musicians, there's a lot of musicians who are from my favorite bands. I know them by face. But most music artists, most musical artists I know by sound.
1: Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. I always wonder. Like, I wonder who has a bigger cultural impact. You know, I think that was one of the other things that I took away from this was just how much of a cultural impact Jordan had. Like, I guess I knew it, but – thinking about how basketball has been exported, which is a very particular American industry, right? How it's been exported now around the world through Jordan as being the conduit because of that that, that picture, you know? The picture of him dunking with the legs spread that has been branded on shoes and shirts and everything like that. that how that kind of impacts changing the world, like in a literal sense. There is a socioeconomic kind of homogenization that is partly indebted to this dude, right? And and maybe you could say the same thing about Michael Jackson, but I don't know if, if – the because you don't – because Jackson's a brand, but he isn't something that people wear, you know? He isn't something that people – there's no I want to be like Michael Jackson, thank God. <laughs> um, but like, you know, people want to be like Mike. People want the Mamba mentality. People want to wear the shoe. They want to exhibit the insignia. They – you know, they – it has a different kind of cultural impact, so I almost wonder if if sports, you know, like the movie Any Given Sunday, fucking Al Pacino, doesn't he have that speech where it almost makes it seem like like the athletes today are like the warriors and like the Hercules and shit like that of the of the of the Homeric age? So I wonder if that's kind of true, you know.
2: Yeah, and there's something about dominating somebody else, especially in basketball, where you do it oftentimes. The most famous scenes are dunking on a guy or hitting a shot over a guy to win a game. Like right. Jordan's pushing Brian Russell away to hit that jumper, the last jumper he makes in you know 98 to win the finals. Um, something about that, that you don't have in music and that probably like, brings back that notion of like dominance of others or competition or whatever that mm. – that ties us into something that's just you know primordial for us that music being Mm. more about sort of you know uh being evocative and about expression it's not as it's not as much that that competitive edge athletics seems to be the only thing left that really you know speaks back to that primordial human thing
1: is that sufi freaking out in the background yeah i'm trying to. No, I was going to say, listeners, that's Sufi. I think Troy talked about Sufi in the last uh, OAD n- newsletter, too. So that's your, that's your introduction. He's a beautiful dog. <laughs> <That's correct. laughs> well, cool. Why don't we go ahead and wrap it up there, then? Uh, yeah? Sound good? Sounds good. The only other thing is Justin Timberlake's a liar, too.
2: Oh, what dude, did he no, lie he, about? He fucking says he mowed lawns to afford to buy Jordans when he was in the Mickey Mouse Club.
1: Oh yeah, that's right.
2: That motherfucker's lying, man.
1: <laughs> that's right. He, he was up, in the Mickey Mouse Club. He showed Mouse up Club. in
2: the Jordan Dock
0: for fifteen seconds to tell audacious lies, and then that was the last we heard of him.
2: He's back in whatever well, speak, wilderness he's at. Speaking of that, Jack McCallum, who's a famous uh, NBA sports reporter, he did a book on the Dream Team, which is fantastic, and he's now releasing a bunch of original audio called the Dream Team Tapes from guys like Barkley, Jordan, Pippin, Magic, Bird, and others. Uh, it's a really good podcast he's releasing right now. He said that he was interviewed for the Dream Team episode, and they bumped him because they had to get Justin Timberlake in.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> wow.
1: Yeah. Of course. So we
2: missed out on some good Dream Team uh, material there, because Justin Timberlake had a lie about mowing lawns. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right, sick. Well, let's go ahead and wrap it up there.
1: Thanks so much, Matt, for joining, man. It's always good to chat with you, brother.
0: Absolutely. Next time, we can talk about uh, more basketball drama or sociopolitical things, whatever.
1: I was going to say, we have have an episode that we wanted to do with you ages ago on reparations that we should probably actually try to tackle (laughs) at some point. We
0: could could do that, or we could just talk about Steven Jackson and Al Harrington for two hours.
1: Um, (laughs) Deal. Sounds good to me, man. All right, dude. We'll chat with you later.
2: Thanks, dude.